welcome all of you here this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Wayne Park, and I am the lead pastor here at Woven Covenant Church. And I want to welcome you personally, and it's good to see all of you. Um, It seems like it's been a long time. Uh, We've been in this series where we've been talking about faith and work, and we're nearing the end of this series. In a few weeks, we're going to start the Covenant Bible Experience, which I am very excited about. And this is going to be a new way to approach reading the Bible, in particular the New Testament. If you are interested, you've made a New Year resolution, I'd like to read through the Holy Book at least once. I'd like to at least know what, the, the, know what it says. Then this is a good chance to, to follow through on that resolution. And you can speak with Jan. Jan, if you could raise your hand over here. She is... Um, our Woven Group's coordinator, and also has these books available. They're available for purchase. How much did we decide on? Five bucks each. So it's uh, cheap. Uh, well, not cheap in a sense to devalue it, but it's affordable is what I'm saying. And I want to encourage you to buy it because it's going to be a wonderful thing for our church forthcoming. But this series about faith and work is so important. I don't think it's going to go away with the close of this Uh, you know, close of this series. Um, Faith and work, I think, is going to become part of who we are as a church. I think we want to be a church that not just is in the suburbs, but lives in this intersection between Sunday night to Monday morning, that we live in this intersection between suburban life, but also the urban realities of work and the marketplace. And we're really challenging and pressing the envelope on what it means to be a Christian, not just in our private life, For many people, Christianity and faith is something that is part of my private life. But if our Christian faith, and we believe it, if it's real, then it must impact all of life. It must touch Monday to Friday. It must be real not just here on Sunday when we sing songs and we feel good, but that blessing somehow we have to carry into the real world. How do we carry that blessing? How do we bring that blessing to our work, to our market? place, to our jobs. This is what it means to be an ambassador. Our faith that we have here, in a sense, the church is like an embassy. We've been talking about the church as an embassy, a diplomatic embassy where you might live in a strange land in a foreign place. The embassy is a place where you get to be home together with people like you, where you get strengthened. But once we leave the doors of this embassy, we get out into the real world and we live as ambassadors ambassadors. And this, by the way, corresponds with Reframe Lesson 9. For those of you that are watching the video, Reframe Lesson 9 is titled Ambassadors. So I want to talk about one of the classic ambassadors in the Old Testament, one of the great ambassadors. His name is Jonah. How many of you have ever read the book of Jonah? Raise your hand. Book of Jonah in its entirety. The book of Jonah is a story about a reluctant ambassador, somebody that God sent to a city called Nineveh. And he was reluctant in the sense that he didn't want to go. And today we're going to make a brisk jog through the book, the book of Jonah because I think it's a good metaphor for work. It's a good metaphor for the real, real world and the reality of doing a job that you don't really want to do. And what must that feel like? And I want to trace that process, that progression, along three headings. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see a, a note sheet that looks like this. And three headings, we're going to start from this place of, I hate my job. I hate my job. And then secondly, where we get to the place where we say, I hate my job, 
but somebody's got to pay the bills and I have mouths to feed. It becomes a responsibility. But then third, we're going to wind up at this place where it becomes powerful work. Powerful work is work that's motivated, where it's no longer just a responsibility. I mean, I'm not saying you're thrilled every morning and you wake up and you have a smile on your face and you're like, let's go. You know, I mean, we're human beings. We all have bad days. But the reality is there's a place where we arrive where we say, my work makes sense to me. I'm motivated. Um, my children are at an age now where I have to get them out of bed to go to school in the morning. And they're clearly not motivated. So we're in this place where we're self-motivated. Nobody has to say, get up, it's time to go to school. Where we're motivated, it becomes powerful work. So that's the three headings that we're going to talk along this morning. Hating work, work as responsibility, and finally, powerful, or you can say empowered work. So let's look at Jonah chapter 1 as we begin with that first heading, hating work. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, it'll come up on the screen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Now that one word right there in the first verse, in the second verse, or in the first verses of the book of Jonah, that word arise is an important theme. It's going to show up all throughout the book of Jonah. Now, uh, scholars, they have something a technique, when, when you're reading scripture, a, a technical terminology, it's called a lead word. A lead word. A lead word is something that's heavy. It appears again and again and again. You can see it. You underline it. It's a repeated word, phrase, or idea. This lead word is. And it's put there on purpose. There's a reason why the word arise comes up. And it shows up, this lead word, arise, in the Hebrew. You see it again later in verse 6 when the captain of the ship says, get up, rise up. And again, later in chapter 3, where God's telling him, Jonah, again, rise up. There's a sense where it's almost like I'm telling my son on Monday morning, it's time for school, get up, it's time to go, get up, it's time to go, rise. And what do you do? Well, we hit the snooze button. I do it. And then we hit the snooze button again. And then maybe one more time. Do you feel like that maybe God has been speaking to you in this season of your life that it's time to arise, to get up, rise? Well, what does God say? Rise, Jonah, and brush your teeth and eat your breakfast. Specifically, what God says is go to Nineveh and cry against it. Cry against it, for their wickedness has come up. What does this word cry mean? The word cry in the Hebrew talks about making a proclamation, making a prophetic pronouncement. Maybe the reason that you don't want to get up in the morning is because you're tired, and that's normal. Maybe you don't want to get up because you don't like your job. That could be the possibility. Maybe you don't want to get up in the morning because there is something that you don't want to face. There's something that you don't want to confront. And friends, I'm a believer in digging deeper into our souls and into our consciousness. I'm a believer. You know, you might say, oh, I don't want to get up just because I don't want to get up. But there might be more. There might be more. Maybe God is asking you to cry against something. There's something that's in the office that's not right. You have to live prophetically. You have to cry out prophetically, but you don't want to face it. What is that one thing that discomforts you? As a Christian, 
as an ethical person, that splinter in your conscience, that you hear the word arise and cry, but can't bring yourself to do it. What does Jonah do? Look at verse 3. Jonah rises. All right, I'm up. Gosh, if you're going to... If you're going to draw on my face or if you're going to tickle my feet or if you're going to bother me enough to provoke me to get out of bed, I'm up. So Jonah says, I'm up. But instead of following through, what does he do? He flees to Tarshish. He flees to this other city. Instead of Nineveh, he goes to a place called Tarshish. And I want to reflect on this thing about Tarshish. We reflect a lot when we read the book of Jonah. We reflect on on the whale or the fish. We think a lot about that. We think a lot about God calling. But we don't think a lot about the city of Tarshish. Because it's interesting, Jonah does get up. But if he really wanted to run away from God, what could he have done? He could have just stayed in bed. He could have just stayed put. Why is it that when God said go to Nineveh, instead of just staying put, he decided to go to this other city? And so I have this sneaking suspicion, and this is the question for reflection, the fill in the blank in your notes. The question for reflection is, what am I running to in order to run away from what? What am I running to to run away from what? Because we're not always just running away from something. Sometimes we're running towards something else that's not necessarily good for us. The thing about Tarshish is if you do a little bit of background homework, it was an exotic city. First Kings talks about the, the ships of Tarshish bringing ivory, gold, silver, apes, peacocks. Another place in Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the ships of Tarshish being beautiful. And so there's a sense where you have this city called Tarshish that's exotic, that's far off. And Jonah says, not only do I not want to go to Nineveh, I want to go to Tarshish. Jonah says, not only do I not want to go to Nineveh, I want to go to Tarshish. Again, the question, what am I running to in order to run away from what? I know, that's kind of a deep question, right? Kind of too, too much food for thought this early in the morning. Well, it's 11 o'clock. <laughs> Jot it down and think about it. Maybe as you're driving to work tomorrow morning, what is it that I really seek? What is it that I really want? So listen to this. What does Jonah do? This is what he does in verse 3. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them. And so instead of rising up, you have the opposite momentum. Where God says, rise up. Rise up. I'm calling you to do something. The opposite is done here. You have another heavy word, another lead word, another word repeated. And that word, you can't see it clearly in the English, but it's there in the Hebrew, and it is to descend, to go down. So the neat thing about Jonah is I don't believe it's just a book that's just written just to, to record events. It's written with a literary artistry. It's conveying a theological message. And that theological message is God saying to stand, to rise. But what do we do we go down. Instead of going up, we go the opposite direction. Jonah, that Hebrew word, one Hebrew word, Yerad, he's going down, he's descending to Joppa. And when he gets to Joppa, he goes even further down. That word appears again, descends into a ship. 
And when he arrives in that ship and he goes down, he goes even further down, the word Urad shows up again. He went down even deeper into the hold of a ship, into the cargo hold. Downstairs in the ship. And it doesn't end there. Because that, that word for hold, the hold of a ship, it's a pluralized word. In the Hebrew, it's doubly pluralized. So you can translate that phrase that Jonah goes down and then he goes down into the ship and then finally what does he do? He goes into the double, it's doubly pluralized, into the double extremities of the deepest recesses of the ship. It's like showing up to work and hiding in the bathroom. Is what he's doing. And then you're in the bathroom and then you fall asleep. That's what Jonah does. That's what he does. He sinks even deeper, tries to get away from it all, and he goes to sleep. Friends, what is it that you think you can escape by sleeping? What is it that you don't want to face? This is the first heading and this perspective, and I know because I've been there, uh, not, not at this job, not with this church. I remember just after I graduated from college and I had a, a job in New York City that Oh my goodness, it was hard to wake up for that job. Couldn't find the motivation. Couldn't get out of bed. All right, I'll do it for responsibility. And I went to work and then I'd, you know, try to find somewhere to hide. Emotionally to hide. Well, maybe you're beyond that first stage. I, I, you know, I, I got to do this job. But you might hate work, but you get to the place where you do, you're doing it as a responsibility because somebody's got to pay the bills. There are mouths to feed. Listen to the second verse, or the second passage from Jonah. Verse 6, work is responsibility. So the captain approaches Jonah and says, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God, perhaps your God will be concerned so that we will not perish. And each man said, let's cast lots, find out on whose account this has struck us, this, this storm that's threatening to sink the ship. Let's find out whose fault it is. And it turns out the lot fell on Jonah. And they said, tell us, what is your occupation? Followed by another string of questions. And to this question, what is your occupation? Who are you? Where do you come from? Jonah answers this way. If I were to ask you, what do you do? Who are you? What is the first thing that you would respond with? In Jonah's case, the first thing that he says is, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the God who made the sea and the dry land. I am a Hebrew. In that statement, I am a Hebrew, what Jonah is conveying is more than just racial identity. To be Jewish meant to be the chosen, prized citizen of God, to be a citizen of heaven. It's conveying more than just racial identity. It's conveying a sense of purpose. And along with that racial identity, Jonah says, I fear the Lord God of heaven. So together with being a Jew, he fears the Lord God of heaven. And along with that racial identity, what we have is inherent power and authority, including over the elements. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. 
Now, it's interesting in this statement, who made the sea and the dry land, what he's conveying here is, I am the person who is somehow responsible for this. Why would he say, I serve the God who controls the sea, when it is the sea that is causing the trouble for these sailors? For Jonah to say, somehow I am responsible for this, there is the understanding, there is the awakening moment where he realizes, as a Christian, I have a responsibility in my marketplace. If I do something, or even if I do nothing, you know, doing nothing still, in some ways, can be doing something. And by doing nothing, by passively not engaging, he is doing something that is harming his co-travelers. And in order to alleviate, in order to fix the situation, what does, what does Jonah do? He says, throw me overboard in order to placate the situation. I understand that this is because of me. Jonah is communicating responsibility. I have a sense of responsibility. I don't want to follow that responsibility, but I can sense it's threatening my co-workers' lives, my co-travelers' livelihoods, and therefore I am responsible. And what happens is they take him, they toss him into the sea, and what you have there is a picture of the atonement of Christ. You have a picture of one who will put his life forward in order to take care of the others. Now, Christians, friends, do you understand that you put your life forward in order to take care of others? Do you see yourself in that manner? I believe that every person who goes by the name of Christ, that goes into your job, into your workplace, that you are responsible to go more than halfway. You can't just do my job or just say, I just want to do my fair share, 50%. That's all I'm called to do. I believe as Christians we are called to go more than halfway because our responsibility to our fellow man, to our fellow woman it goes a little bit further. You see, it begins in identity. That's what I believe. Knowing who you are, knowing what you're called to, begets responsibility. Jonah finally acknowledges who he is by that one simple statement, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven. Queen Victoria, I'll just tell you a story, uh, was a queen of England, I think in the early 1900s, pre-World War I. She was a child. She was a difficult student for her teachers. Queen Victoria was, the Queen of England, future Queen of England, but a little girl running around without her shoes on, getting dirty and muddy. And every time they had to sit her down to teach her. At that time, if you're going to be queen, they had to be prepared for world diplomacy and, and politics. They had to teach you everything from languages to history. Everything. The thing is, young Queen Victoria was not motivated. She was a very difficult student. And finally, in frustration, one of her teachers said to her, how can this be the behavior of a future queen? And the little girl looked at her teacher and blinked and thought about it. And apparently she didn't know that she was going to become the queen. And so the little girl thought about it and finally realizing what they were talking about, realizing where she lived, realizing who she was, and her sense of identity dawning upon her, she quietly replied with the weight of the world on her shoulders, then I'll be good. Then I will be good. 
Friends, don't try to be good without knowing who you are. Don't try to take on responsibility without knowing your identity. You cannot have responsibility without understanding who you are. And if you know who you are and you know your identity, from there will beget responsibility. I mean, of course, we're all familiar with this that famous, uh, famous story of Simba, where he's just hakuna matataing his life away, running away from his identity, doesn't want to have anything to do with it, hakuna matata, everybody's trying to tell him, you know who you are? No, 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 no. I don't want to think about hakuna matata. What is that? What, what is that? What, what are you running away from? Clearly running away from something. So a question for reflection. The second one, the fill in the blank. I know today we have a lot of reflective kind of stuff. It's not directly easily applicable. I wish the pastor gave me something tangible to do something, to do today. Instead, I gave you things to think about for your commute tomorrow morning. That first question for reflection, what was it again? Right, what am I running to? To run away from what? How about this one? It's an identity question. In the place of Jonah's words, put your own words there. I am a what? And you don't have to necessarily fill that in with a, with a racial identifying answer. I am a Korean American. Whatever. I am a housewife. I am a son. I am a friend. I am who I am. I am what? And I fear what? What do you fear? I fear nothing. I fear my wife. I fear my boss. I fear things that go bump in the night. I mean, what is it that you fear? You know, on that last one that made you guys giggle a little bit, I have a friend, an older man, um, who he, he was having difficulty with his wife, and she kicked him out. <laughs> um, and he went to his priest, and he said, Father, you know, I, I, I want to get my wife back. I don't know what to do. And, the, 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 you know, obviously he's Catholic, so the priest says, do you love God more than you love your wife? And he says, yes. And he said, until you fix that, until you get that straight, you're not going to get your wife back. So, what do you fear more than you fear God? What is it that you fear so much that it's keeping you from your sense of responsibility or identity. I am a blank and I fear blank. And what is it about that fear? Who blank? In other words, I am a Hebrew and I fear God. And what does this God do? What does your God do? Who will spank me? Who will fire me? Who will give me a pink slip? Who will yell at me? Who will control me? Who will oppress me? What is it that this thing that you fear is going to do? I'll never forget, friends, last um, November when I attended the pastor's retreat for the Mid-South Covenant pastors. We got together up in Dallas. You know, I, I never want to go to this thing, but I always come back with something really, really good. And I remember the speaker. He was a former cop in Washington, D.C. I mean, what does he have to tell a bunch of pastors, right? And then he worked for the CIA, and he lived in the Middle East. And this is not your typical kind of, you know, skinny, you know, sport coat wearing pastor in the front that's just theologically educated. This is a guy that's seen life and death happen uh, in the front lines in the wars in Iraq. He's seen some of his comrades killed. He's seen 
a lot. He's, he's been a, you know, he's a lay person like you. And I'll never forget the words that he spoke when he said to me directly, but also to all the pastors, don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Don't make fear-based decisions. Fear-based decisions. I've seen more accidents and bad things come as a result of fear-based decisions. And I've heard those words my entire life. I mean, you know, I've in church from pastors. But for some reason, coming from that man, it meant a lot more. Don't be afraid. What is it that you fear? Because the thing about fear is that many times when we face it head on, you realize you didn't have to be afraid of it. It's not as big as you thought. I am a what? And what is it that I fear and what will it do to me? What is that one thing that you're afraid of that is keeping you from rising up tomorrow morning? And maybe that fear needs to put into perspective that there are greater things to fear. I fear confronting my boss. Well, you could fear going to jail even more if you don't do the ethical thing. I fear doing the right thing. The longer you put it off, you could fear the greater consequences for doing the right thing. I fear telling the truth. Or I, feel, I fear confessing this to somebody. Well, you could fear the greater suffering that will come if you let that thing and behavior continue and perpetuate. Really, let's put the fears into perspective. There is a responsibility. There is a responsibility to work. And so we move from this place of hating work and then work becoming a responsibility. But that's the thing about work is you're still dragging your feet. We're still dragging our feet. I don't want to go to it. It's responsibility. How do we get to this place of empowered work? And this is our third and last heading. Powerful work as we read Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 5. So Jonah says, okay, I'm going to go to work. He drags his feet. I have responsibility. He winds up in Nineveh and he preaches. And this is what happens. The people of Nineveh believed in God. They believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid his robe off, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, issued a proclamation saying, In Nineveh, by decree of king, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. In other words, no one's going to eat. Don't let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to call on God. Let each of us turn from our wicked way and from violence. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so they won't perish. And when God saw their deeds, they turned from their wicked way and God relented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring upon them. He did not do it. Now, friends, is this a picture of powerful work or not? Yes or no? This is pretty powerful. This is a very positive response. This is powerful work. The funny thing is, Jonah dragged his feet, didn't want to do the task, didn't want to do the work before him. But when he did it, it was very, very, uh, how would you say, the, the, the prophets just went off the charts. The results were very, very successful. This is successful work. Ironically, Jonah's not happy with it. What an artist. What an INF. What an INFP. What a, what a bohemian. What an out-of-the-box thinker. Why can't he just go with the flow, be happy with what he did? Instead, it says, 
Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He was upset. In the Hebrew, literally translated, it says it was evil to Jonah, a great evil. To see this much success in Nineveh made him feel angry. It was evil for him. You ever go to work and it doesn't turn out the way you want it to? And yet, it turned out to be successful? Or you go to work, you know, <laughs> I relate to this a lot. Like, I'll, I'll come to work on Sunday. Not that this is just about work. For me, this is a passion. But I'll preach what I think is the best sermon of the century. It needs to be published, put online. It needs to be put in written form. And afterwards, people will be like, nice, good sermon. That's it. <laughs> right? And then I'll preach what I think, and with my wife as witness, this happens so many times. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, that tanked. Like, that time I hit a home run. This time it was like a, a bunt foul or something. It just, the sermon went south. And afterwards, people are gushing. They're like, that helped me so much. That's exactly what I needed to hear. You know, the funny thing is, when it comes to success in not just ministry, but I think work, is there's no rule. What you think was good work oftentimes might not be. Lots of, I don't, I don't know, is that true? friends? Or is it just for, 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 for preachers? Do you ever feel like that, that your best work was not what you thought it would be? Or what you thought was terrible work turned out to be actually very effective? You know, friends, um, here's the number one rule in entrepreneurial or just vocational work or success in work. The number one rule is it, there appears to be no rule. <laughs> There is no rule. There is no rule. Jonah, I think, is taking this personal. He's upset that it's working when it shouldn't be working. He's upset that it's working in this city with these people. And I think he's taking it personally because maybe he's been trying this at home. Don't try this at home. He says, I want to try this at home. I've been preaching in Israel. Nobody pays attention to me over there in my homeland. The people I want to think that I am cool don't think I'm cool. And yet I go to this place where I don't think it's cool. And yet everybody thinks I'm cool. For some reason, and this gets personal for him, his work is ineffective where he wants it to be effective. This nationalistic pride that he has. And yet it's working here in Nineveh. It's working here in Nineveh. And he's frustrated because there's no formula for success. I might be, I don't know if this is going to be a politically correct statement or not. Um, I think the reason why historically and throughout history, Jews have made good business persons is because they've wrestled with questions like this ever since ancient times. God, why do you not bless my endeavor? Or God, why do you bless the endeavor that I didn't anticipate? When we wrestle with the question of success, we're starting to look after the face of God. When we wrestle with the question of success, we're starting to seek God, I think. We start to ask ourselves good questions. Is it me? Am I doing something wrong? Is there something wrong? Am I the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time? Am I the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time? Jonah, preaching in Israel, maybe. He was preaching his heart out, but he might have been the right person 
at the right time, but in the wrong place. I remember in all of my ministry that I did on the West Coast, one of my, one of my mentors, Don Robinson at that time, love that man, and he told me, Wayne, it's about being the right person in the right place at the right time. Well, let's finish this story off in verse 10. Jonah is upset. He says, God, I don't get you. I don't get you. I've been working here. It's not been going the way I've wanted to. And yet here in Nineveh, you're, these people are responding. They're not even Jews. I mean, in that sense, Jonah is a really remarkable, unusual book. In the entire Old Testament, Jonah is very Non, it's very, not very Jewish at all. Where you have in the entirety of the Old Testament, it emphasizes the people of God, the Jewish people as central. Don't, make, don't taint yourselves with foreign blood. Here it's saying, go preach to non-Jews. And for that matter, not only, not only is it saying preach to non-Jews, but it's, it's saying do it in a fashion that nobody, nobody, nobody ever saw anything like this before. Typically, what it meant to be Jewish in the Old Testament was you were a city on a hill. Let the Gentiles, let the, let the nations, the non-Jews come to Israel and discover the God of Israel and be blessed. So the Old Testament model was more based on something called an attractional model. This is the fill in the blank. Come and see. Come and see. So typically, the Old Testament model of blessing the non-Jewish nations was let them come to us and see. Let them come and see the blessings. But what God is telling Jonah is the opposite of that. You see, there's that important word when he says, arise, cry, go. This is the missionary model. Friends, what we have in the book of Jonah is God speaking to every one of us. Arise, it's Monday morning, go as ambassadors, go and show them a better way. Even though they, they might not be the people that you expect, they might respond to you better than you realize. Go. That's the last fill in the blank. On the one hand, you have come and see. On the other hand, you have go. Friends, we need both. We need both. If church is an embassy, this is where we bring people. Come and see that the Lord is good. Come and see we bring our friends to church and we tell them, come and see. But at the same time, we can't forget the other, the other half, which is go, where we go out into the world from the embassy. From the embassy, we go out. And that might mean being the voice of reason in your office. That might mean being the voice of grace in your workplace. That might mean being the shoulder to cry on. That might mean being the one person who is sober. God says to Jonah, you know, this whole fiasco happens where Jonah, he's like, I'm so mad, God. And he goes like this, and he sits down, and God causes a plant to grow over his head. And then God brings a worm that eats the root of the plant. That, has that ever happened to any of you recently? Like, we had a frost, and it destroyed all the plants in my backyard that I spent years growing. And I'm so mad at God. Like, God, I'm so mad. And Jonah's so mad at God. Well, then God has a conversation, and he says, you had compassion on this plant, 
for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow. It came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand as well as many animals? And the, and the book of Jonah ends on that with a question mark. It's an interesting way to end a book. And it ends with animals. It's a strange ending, as well as many animals. Um, two weeks ago, during that hard freeze that happened to kill the plants in my backyard that made me so upset, uh, my wife was driving home and in the driveway found a brown frozen lizard. Like, it's frozen. So she rescues him, her. We found this, uh, the female. She rescues the lizard, puts it in a cage, and thaws it out, and the lizard comes back to life. So now we have me, Ashley, Austin, Zoe, Fleur, my dog, and Tails, the lizard. So under my roof, we have four people and two animals. So what God is saying to Jonah is under this roof of Nineveh, 120,000 people and many animals to boot. There's a lyricism to these last two verses that I want to show you, that it's very clear in the Hebrew. It looks like this, God talking to Jonah. You, begins with that emphatic pronoun, you, had compassion on the plant. And then the relative pronoun, which you didn't cause to grow, which is fleeting, ephemeral, gone overnight. And then the second lyrical verse starts with the emphatic pronoun. I had compassion (laughs) on Nineveh, the great city, which, relative pronoun, I did cause to grow. I caused it to grow. In fact, 120,000 and a lot of animals to boot. Which in the end is a lot more valuable than a plant. A lot more valuable than a plant. That's what's being said here. I want you guys to know that the people that you meet tomorrow morning are a lot more valuable than a plant. Now plants are valuable. But I think in the scheme of things, people are just a little bit more valuable, a lot more. You're going to meet people that are more valuable than a plant. You're going to meet situations. Your work itself is going to be valued by God. There's a communication of value here. Work that is empowered is, where, is work that recognizes value. Value in people, value in services, value in a product. These are not bad things. Value in services rendered, value in care. God is saying to you today, I am sending you. I am sending you. I am sending you. If we can close our eyes. Friends, where is God sending you? I know that you are listening to God. I know that you are listening to Him. And you're seeing your work not just as productivity or something to make yourself better or bigger. But I know your heart is to do good in the world. I know your heart is to use your job as an ambassador, to use your job as a missionary. Friends, use your work as your mission field. You know what the wonderful message of Jonah is? And I conclude with this last as your eyes are closed. You know, Jonah ends with this question. 
that God asks Jonah, but Jonah never answers. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the message of Jonah in the end is not about Nineveh's salvation all along. It tells me that this is a love story from a God above to his child, Jonah. It's not about Nineveh's salvation. It's about Jonah's salvation. It's about this ongoing conversation that God is having with you. So in a sense, it's not about work. It's about you. God is saying, through your work, I'm speaking to you. I'm meeting you. It's not about the work that you do for God, but ultimately it's about the work God is doing in you. So, as the band begins to play some music, I'm going to invite you to reflect on those questions just silently in your mind. What am I running to to run away from what? What am I running towards so that I can get away from something else? Or that other question, who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. I am what? What do I fear? And what does that fear do? God, I pray that you would uh, build a missionary community here in this congregation. A missionary community that meets in the embassy, in this school that we meet Sunday after Sunday, but then Monday goes out into the marketplace seeing work as as a mission field, seeing every relationship as valuable, seeing every product, every service rendered as valuable, just as you see things as valuable. May we recognize your value in what we do. May it be empowered profoundly, God, profoundly. Do a miracle, I pray. Do a miracle. Touch the hearts and the lives of everyone here present. Some are very tired. Some are in the place, that first part of hating work. Lord, I pray that despite despite the agony, that, that you would bring us to a place of identity and finding work not just as responsibility, but... Lord, as, as, a, as a motivated motivated endeavor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org That's www.wovenchurch.org